Welcome back, guys. We have another episode, I guess a special edition episode of these pivotal interviews that I've been doing uh, specifically around COVID-19 and just the effect that it's been going on. been trying, as you guys know, they've been following on the 10 or so episodes that I've already kind of put out. I've been trying to get across as many perspectives as possible around the CPG industry, um, retailing, and just trying to create some semblance of a, a playbook or just some information that people can provide some inspiration or, or motivation throughout this kind of unprecedented time. So I am actually, I was going to say sitting across from Jeremy Smith, but uh, I guess virtually we are sitting across from each other. But uh, Jeremy Smith is uh, this, the founder and CEO of Launchpad Group USA, which is an integrated uh, food brokerage firm, uh, kind of full service. He's not just handling just the representation. He's got a couple other things I'm sure he's going to mention a little bit about that. But his focus is really around high growth emerging food brands that are looking to get into Costco um, through some representation, maybe some strategy. And he has a huge um, list of brands, but best known by, you know, Chobani, uh, Bob's Red Mill, Crave Jerky, um, and I was going to list a bunch more, but I think at that point, uh, I think it's just bragging. So I'll turn this over to Jeremy, and he can kind of give you a little bit of sense of, of the things that I missed, maybe how he got into this space, and then we can roll into maybe some more things that are happening around COVID-19 with his business. I had never... Uh, heard about the brokerage business, had no idea. I was just a Costco shopper. And then around 2003, my brother, uh, who used to work for Costco, called me and said, I'm going into the brokerage business. Do you want to join me? And uh, I said, well, what is the brokerage business? And then we had a long conversation about what the brokerage business was. Um, and uh, he was starting a new company called Level One Marketing. And so um, uh, my brother and I uh, work really well together. Um, we uh, have the type of personalities, which I, I think are really good for um, uh, partnerships in that um, sometimes you meet people that are partners and one is, is um, really what, you know, very different than the other one. Um, and one sometimes is more uh, quiet and the other one is loud. Um, so uh, Jonathan and I were both kind of loud anyway. So uh, uh, and we could um, get into deep, passionate arguments and not not we never took anything personally, although every once in a while, you know, we'd have some big blow ups about, you know, how the business should run and things like that, because we're both very competitive. But it actually pushed us forward. And so he had an operational background, which um, Costco, which is what our focus is, is much more of an operational sale um, than, um, you know, you're not going skiing with a buyer uh, as to where with some uh, buyers, um, you know, they'll, they'll party and all that other stuff, but uh, not at Costco. Costco is a much more conservative you know, they 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 want to keep any sort of influence uh, on the buyer side only and uh, not not um, uh, allow that kind of uh, entertainment stuff that goes on outside at other retailers. So um, and more and more retailers are headed that way. But anyway, we started this company called Level One, became 
incredibly successful, focused on mostly Costco, some Sam's Club and some BJ's. Sold it in 2014 to uh, Advantage Sales and Marketing. Our goal was to um, really uh, take the emerging brands that we had and use Advantage as a uh, launching pad to help the brands out in retail and we would take care of the club. But um, unfortunately, it, it didn't go as well as we thought it would because the cultures were just we were very entrepreneurial and nothing against Advantage or a good company. Um, they um, really didn't want to they weren't set up to do the hand holding, if you will, um, uh, that emerging brands need and the deep strategy. They're more point and click PowerPointers. And that's the way most of the brokerage industry is. So it's not it's not unusual, but it just didn't you know, we just didn't weren't able to sink the cultures. And uh, uh, so they were kind enough to let me leave in two years after I completed my servitude. And um, uh, uh, I while I was there, I got a chance to uh, meet some VC guys uh, like uh, Wayne Wu over at VMG. And John Hagen over at 301 Inc. And I kicked around some different ideas with them about you know what was going on in the industry in their mind. And in 2016, I left and started Launchpad. So I kind of returned back to my roots of level one, but this is Launchpad's a much more diverse group in that we uh, have a relationship with a good friend of mine who's been in the design business at an agency called Market Brand, and we've known each other for uh, 30 years. And so um, now what the, the the big difference is that we can work with clients if you're just cut, let's say you, you're just starting your business out, you've got zero sales and you need, a, need someone to help you uh, launch uh, everywhere, we can help with that. Um, although my main focus is Costco, my VP of sales, Monique Parent, she does a lot of the retail stuff as well as Costco. So we kind of built what I think is is more of a ad agency model based on brokerage and representation. But I kind of think what we're doing is where the future of the industry is headed. I think that, you know, there's the concept of just kind of pushing something through uh, with your relationship and then there it's just kind of setting them up for failure where if they don't really have a lot of the um, strategy or they don't have the right um, packaging, like there's something misaligned in the brand. If you're just kind of pushing them onto the big stage, there's going to be some resistance levels that are going to be created because maybe they don't have the right uh, back of the house or they don't have the right you know packaging or, or whatever it is. And, and I like that approach because I think that there is like a consultative um, type of a, a need for these brands because they um, are usually small, scrappy teams. They have, um, you know, a ton of, of positives, but there are some things where if you don't know, you don't know type of a situation. And you guys can kind of come in and say, hey, let's mold some of that excitement uh, in a way that's going to be packaged up, that's going to be best fit for Costco or best fit for, you know, Albertsons or or wherever. But mostly we're talking about here with, with Costco um, to shift gears here and talk about your specific business and maybe how it's been affected by COVID-19. Has there been some good, bad, ugly? Um, what have you seen on, on just your side of the business? 
Well, the you know, one of the things that made Costco so successful and so exciting for consumers and their members is Costco has always been leading the way forward. Um, I would say them and Whole Foods, but Costco has done an excellent job, especially for their size, at making emerging food brands and smaller food brands part of their DNA and their culture. Um, and they've done so on a, a regional level because they have eight U.S. regions. So you might find the latest hot sauce company out of uh, Austin and um, or or a different category, the latest snack out of Austin. And um, that snack takes off in the Texas region and Costco might not have found it like one of the challenges Sam's has is that they don't have a lot of offices outside of the main corporate area for buying. So Costco gets the vibe and lives the life um, in a lot of the regions. And it, it allows them to bring items that their members may know locally. And if they do well enough, um, sometimes those brands that were that little brand in Austin become a big national brand thanks to uh, uh, the ability to move through the, the Costco culture there and get into um, the other buying offices. So there's, you know, I think that does give Costco a competitive advantage because they can really work with um, brands of any size as well. So um, I, I, I think that helps. I think, you know, what's interesting about the whole COVID-19 thing is we've got two two challenges and uh, I have a lot of experience because with level one when we opened up uh, years ago our big challenge was we were in the middle of the mortgage crisis mm -hmm. so um, and what happens is consumers when the economy gets bad um, have a tendency to look for value and they cut back on restaurant shopping uh, expenditures and other expenditures and they move a little bit away from traditional supermarkets and more go more will will spend their food budgets at a Costco. So Costco does really well. Um, it seems like all the time, but they do especially well and take and because Costco can move so quickly, they take advantage of um, uh, trends in the marketplace much more quickly than a Safeway or a Whole Foods can react to. So that allows um, brands that um, haven't, especially ones that haven't focused on Costco before, to um, drive their revenue much more quickly during an economic crisis. Now, one of the things that I was looking at um, before the pandemic happened was to, um, I was getting very nervous probably mid last year. I felt like the only thing really holding up the economy was the consumers. And my worry and our advisement to our clients was be careful right now, because, you know, if the consumer stops spending, the economy could slide. Now, when the pandemic, when the pandemic came, that's an added pressure on the market, which we've, we've never entered a recessionary time and had a pandemic at the same time. So anyone that claims they know what's going to happen or what you should do is is nuts. It, you know, I base my views on my my own experience and some of the challenges that we're seeing that we didn't have happen during the mortgage crisis is because of the pandemic. 
the most negative aspect besides loss of life is that um, a lot of the buyers are not are not looking at new brands right now. So that's stifling a little bit the the new brands that want to get launched at Costco um, or um, expand into Costco. And so until that passes and Costco is fully operational again, um, it's going to have a big impact. Um, another negative impact is that the demo company um, that Costco works with, uh, CDS, um, had to um, they had to stop doing demos and roadshows, and then last month, um, Advantage, which I believe owns CDS now, laid off I think twenty two thousand employees, and so even if Costco gets started up May first they're going to have to figure out how they're going to deal with the demos. Are they going to start them up again? Because the demos and the roadshows really drive traffic into the yeah, buildings yeah. because of that excitement. And so um, we're not sure how that that's going to go. Another impact um, is on the positive side with this has been that many of our brands that are already established at Costco um, had huge sales uh, uh, in March and in early April, um, because Costco was just saying, hey, if you're already approved, you got your vendor number, you're ready to roll, let's try these other items. And like one of our clients, instead of a, a one truckload order, got a seven truckload order, which stressed their supply chain, but they were able to deliver. And some of our other brands have seen that type of sales increase. It's starting to level out now as Costco has put some implementations in to slow down the business um, so that they don't have so much traffic inside the buildings. They're changing their hours a little bit and um, trying to keep people uh, separated a little more so that there's less people in the building all at the same time. I was looking at Costco's uh, March numbers. I'm sure you you know them very well, but just for the people, I mean, it, there's about, a I think, a 12% year-over-year growth rate, um, which... I think it's an acceleration of of maybe about I think it's maybe twenty five percent or so off of like the base of of twenty nineteen. So you're seeing a good amount of lift that's happening there. Um, one of the things that I, I I found interesting, maybe that was driving a little bit of Costco, was that there was around like the last weekend of of February, um, there were some social media images that were getting shared of of Costco's that were either um, just out of stock of certain items uh, or just huge lines. And it was right around the time of of the press conference with uh, Trump on the I think the twenty sixth. And it seemed as if that was even an accelerant of Costco's um, kind of action of people going in there because, People were seeing maybe one region or maybe one store in a region that was, uh, you know, kind of got a big run on product. They didn't have time to stock it up. And then all of a sudden there was this fear that kind of got created with, with consumers that thought, wow, I need to control any element that I can control. And, and one of the things that I can control is like my maybe CPG buying, like I need to stock my essentials. And they kind of did a huge run on, on all stores. But I think Costco was maybe that uh, first one that kicked it off. And it kind of created um, just an immense amount of um, sales that happened for for Costco that you could see in those numbers. But then another thing um, that I kind of noticed was that their e-commerce um, grew as well, uh, I think 50% uh, year over year on that month. And that's been an area that Costco has 
I wouldn't say like held back, but I think it's, you know, they're still trying to figure it out in a way because you mentioned um, the merchandising is, is set up in a way there's like a discoverability. There's, you know, people, they want you to go into the store. They want you to go through the aisles. They want you to, to check out the new things that you didn't see last month or, or whatever, where online it's a little bit different. They haven't really figured out how to make that magical kind of discovery type of element, but it seems like people are choosing to go online anyways and costco can't slow it down because um obviously people are trying to pick safety over um, maybe the discoverability the, the the experience of going into costco um, normally have you seen i guess and i'm not sure if you guys um, have any brands that uh, maybe are only online or maybe have um, a good amount of traction online have you seen any kind of i guess um, clients uh, see any of that advantage that's come up online yeah, a few of ours have. I mean, you know, you got to go back and look um, around the time of the uh, uh, when you talk about the dot com business, um, when Amazon acquired um, Whole Foods, there were a lot of analysts and I don't like most of the analysts that are out there. I, I think they um, know a lot less than they get credit for to really piled on to Costco saying they had a bad uh a poor strategy um, uh, on online. And um, what they didn't take into account is that Amazon is really an impulse buy a lot of the time. Um, they're a very good retailer, but they don't carry items in the size that Costco does. And um, they don't have offerings, like Costco has some really special offerings online that Amazon doesn't even have in hard goods and, you know, pools and things like, I mean, they've, they've got a lot of stuff on there, but, um, you know, Amazon had the opposite problem of Costco in that Amazon had, um, their fresh business that they were trying to get into and it was failing. Yeah. Um, and they then realized they had to get into brick and mortar. So Costco and Amazon really had opposite problems, but it was very similar. And now you look at where Costco is for the last year and a half, and their sales have been up anywhere from on average around 30 per, 33% to around 44% per quarter, which is fantastic growth for someone who's not considered to be like a top online provider. And you're right. They, they do have a balance because they don't want to ruin the store experience, but um, Amazon doesn't have an answer for that exciting treasure hunt item. Costco does. And um, another area within the, the, the e-com space for Costco has been that for the heavier items, you can go into the store. But if you look at the cost of of prime amazon struggled to keep those costs down and now they're passing all of those costs onto the vendors so you're seeing items that used to be 12 and 14 dollars that when they're on prime they're like 29 and 35 dollars and they're not as um uh price competitive with costco anymore so um i think both companies will do very well in this environment and i think costco continues to do well. I, I still think that some analysts are overestimating that um, that consumers are going to stick with the e-commerce. I think that 
when you if you didn't have the pandemic pandemic and you just had a bad economy, let's say, I, I don't think there would have been the mass rush because people still would have gone into the um, supermarkets and purchased. And it's still really hard to buy a salad, um, uh, uh, fruit, uh, eggs, things like that online, unless you're already accustomed to buying that brand or um, you're not going to just go buy Amazon eggs on Amazon if you haven't experienced them before. And, and you know, another area that I think is underestimated with this is that, and I think I'm basically saying I think consumers will return in large numbers once the pandemic is over back into their grocery stores because they like interacting with the cashier. One thing that we've learned through the pandemic, if, if you know, um, is that people like to treat their shopping experiences almost as social events. They talk to the butcher, they talk to the cashier forever, unfortunately, sometimes. And um, sometimes I'm just trying, I'm buying two items I wanna get out of the store and the, and the uh, uh, cashier and the woman are talking about, you know, tickets to the opera or something. And I'm like, come on, but anyway, Everyone has their their way they shop and their experience, and I I I think things will go back to um, some of those same type of experience after once you separate the pandemic um, uh, from uh, the the shopping experience. Because right now um, we're I know we're buying a lot, but the other thing is the the you know services like. Um, uh, you know, the door dashes of the world and the Instacart, you know, Instacart right now um, is, it, you know, it used to be just, well, it takes two hours. That's it. So if you order at 12, you'll have it by two. But sometimes it's like a five hour wait or a 10 hour wait because so many people are now discovering Instacart and they didn't even know about Instacart. And so now that's how they're ordering. And those services are overloaded uh, with orders and they can't meet them. It's sort of like, you know, you know, the ticket industry, when concert tickets go on sale, they still haven't figured out how to deal with the first hour of ticket sales because they get a rush, their servers still crash. Um, you know, everyone's sitting there thinking getting tickets, that little ball is spinning around. And it's a very frustrating process. And some of that's happening now. Over time, those companies will scale, but you can't scale for a pandemic and you can't, you know, you can scale for a recession up or down, but the pandemic is is a wild card that's hard to tell, um, you know, when it's going to go away, if it's going to come back. And so, you you know, as, as all businesses have to be prepared for that. And we still haven't gone through the worst of the bankruptcies that are coming what just happened with oil today was a real shock, dropping yeah. into negative territory, um, uh, you know. And so, uh, you know, there's, according to things that I read, you know, there's companies just lining up to go bankrupt and some of the airlines will probably go bankrupt. Uh, there's just no easy way to recover it. The main thing the president has to do in Congress is to keep us from going into a um a, a depression instead of a recession. And I personally, I, I, you know, don't get into politics too much, but I think he's, he's uh, having Trump as president is creating more panic 
on top of it, that if we had a calmer president, like we did with President Bush after 9-11 and President Obama after, you know, during the mortgage crisis, I think that would have settled things down and there wouldn't have been as much panic. But Trump has never made a speech about panicking and said, don't panic, we're going to get through this, um, slow down, take your time. He just, he's not that type of person and he's kind of, you know, like a CEO when there's problems at a company, you know, you want someone who's going to stay, who's steady and can guide the company through. And unfortunately, he just doesn't have that skill set. I would agree with you. I mean, I um, have not used the the D word yet. Uh, I don't want to jinx it. Um, I've been for the last probably six or eight weeks, very much paying attention to a lot of the economic indicators. This kind of the area that I, I focus a lot of my attention on. I, I keep the public health stuff to the people that know that stuff very well. I was more worried about what the economy was going to do and, and how do we create stop gaps and, and then behavioral patterns that was going to help us get through this. And I, I agree with you. I think that the, you know, the consumer eventually kind of comes back. Um, I, I don't necessarily think it's, you know, what a lot of um, you know economists are saying, like it's going to be a V shape. I think it's more probably a, you know, a U or a W if people can kind of see what that looks like from a growth and a, and a retraction type of standpoint. But I think where we have a lot of um, time to really see a lot of the ripples come to um, fruition, I think you're seeing some of the most vulnerable areas get hit first. You know, you mentioned some of the, like the travel areas, also maybe the uh, clothing retailers that I think um, have about a 50% um, month or yeah, I think it's month over month and year over year um, loss in retail sales right now. And you have, I think JC Penney's, I think you have uh, Macy's, uh, Neiman Marcus, a bunch of them that are already either um, in search of uh, new financing trying to do, they've missed interest payments. They've, you know, basically saying, we're almost at the point of giving up at this point. Um, so you're seeing, I think, some of those more weaker sectors or ones that got hit the most by this um, kind of economic uh, tremors that are that are going to get hit first. And I think when you see those things fall, then other things in the system fall. I mean, I think that's the biggest thing that people uh, misinterpret. There's linkages. You know, everybody's linked in some way. And when, you know, a supplier can't pay you for this or they're stretching these terms or whatever, that creates stress to the business below it and the business, uh, you know, sideways of it. And it's kind of, it just creates this crazy ripple effect that I, I think is going to be one that we're going to be paying attention to definitely throughout 2020 and then maybe into, um, you know, 2021. And we'll kind of see from there what kind of happens. Um, I want to bring this back to um, the online grocery piece because I, I did want to make some comments uh, around that. I I agree as well with you, Jeremy, in terms of I, I don't think that this is the, you know, tipping point where like everybody turns into online grocery shoppers. Um, I think it does help um, create a bunch of trial. The people that were totally against it uh, that said I would never do this because I want to pick my bananas or I want to I know the meat better than the the Instacart, or, you know, whatever. I think all of those um, arguments fell off because you you started to think about your health and you thought, well, it's not really worth me picking out my bananas. I might as well let somebody else uh, on the front line kind of deal with that. So I've been watching like two specific things um, on that to see like how far I think this accelerates because I don't think it like triples, you know, the, the rate of adoption or anything, but I think that 
you have the length of time that I think we're under this restricted living makes uh, this more important because the more try, like the more you get used to a new behavioral pattern, the more willing you're, you're, you can to institute that. So like the first time you try online grocery, it's hard because you're used to going through the aisles. Everybody has their own shopping kind of traditions and the way they like to do it. Right. But then you're getting thrown into like a, you know, search algorithm and you're, you have to like search by words, each thing you're looking for, and maybe you can't find, uh, or you don't even know maybe the brand that you buy. You just know that it's a yellow and a blue label or, you know, whatever. And it creates these kind of weird um, hurdles that you have to come over. But the more that you do it, the more that you get comfortable with it. So I think the longer maybe we're at stay at home or restricted living, the better chance that has of being sticky. And then the other one is, I think, as you know, the Costco's or the Target's or the Walmart's create more restrictions into the way that they can shop from like a public health standpoint. Like you can only go so many per square foot into the store. You have to go, you know, down the aisle one way and come back the other way. And, you know, they want to create all these, that creates like less convenience uh, as a consumer. I wouldn't want to go into a Walmart if I had to wait in line. And then I also had to shop in a certain way. Um, it would turn it off to me and I'd be maybe more willing uh, to, to do online grocery shopping at that point. So I think it's going to bring in another wave of people based around how restricted those stores get. So those are the two like maybe areas that I've been trying to pay attention to. The higher those two kind of areas get, the more there's a stickiness to like what's happening. But I, I, I don't believe that this is like fundamentally um, going to triple online grocery or, or anything. Like some of these analysts are going a little bit way off the deep end with some of their predictions, and um, I, I don't know if they're paying attention to like the the very fundamental like consumer behavioral things, like you mentioned about like it's a you know, going to a grocery store is very intimate. It's very unique. It's very much a uh, experience that uh, everybody does differently. And I, I don't think people are going to just uproot that for anything unless they really, really have to. Yeah, I, I think you mentioned two things that are important. Uh, I'll get to the second one uh, in a minute, which is supply chain. And the first one is that I think that what the analysts are missing is they're talking about it from a hundred thousand foot level. And um, I would say that 95% um, of our Amazon ordering that we've done is late. And so here I am, I'm waiting for my uh, whatever I've ordered from Amazon. And I keep getting these emails about well, we're sorry, it's delayed a week, it's delayed six weeks. And there's a lot of that going on. And that is not a consumer, a consumer that wants something quickly is not gonna put up with that. And Amazon has really fallen down. It's not totally their fault, but it's not like there's somebody you can call at Amazon very easily and say, where the hell is my order? And so you're really just communicating via email and text. And I think for a vast majority of consumers, when they start experience more of that, they're going to say, you know what, I can't wait for this thing to be over so I can go back to my old habit. And I think Amazon and others could lose that opportunity that they had during the pandemic. Now, I also understand that the, the whole economy is not designed for a pandemic. So um, but I'm looking at it from a rational side because I'm in the food business that, hey, 
if all of a sudden, if normally you have 14,000 orders and now you have 114,000, it's going to break your supply chain. And I, I watched an interesting interview this morning with um, uh, the CEO, I forget his name, of uh, Cummings uh, Industries. And he said what, what people are missing in the supply chain is, let's say my they, they've got offices all over the world and they're a manufacturer and they've got a huge supply chain. So he said, I could tell you I'm opening my doors May 1st, but my suppliers aren't. So where I get my ingredients or my parts, I don't know when they're going to be open. So how can I open? And he said, the government's not taking any of this into account. So he said, you know, he said, I'm not trying to criticize the president was, was his words, but he said that they're not, no one is thinking about it. It's kind of like leaving a car um, and you go on a trip for two months and come back and then expect it to start up right away. Um, it's not going to most, in most situations, you're going to have to have somebody come out and charge it. And so when you turn on a supply chain, I mean, turn off a supply chain, it doesn't just come back on. Then the next question is, how will the payments flow? You know, a lot of the companies that are in supply chains are struggling right now because you look at food service. Food service has been torn up. You know, Facebook and Google, which were driving so much business through that channel, um, their employees, most of them aren't in the office now. So they're hurting and then they're getting hurt by their restaurant business. So even if May 1st, everything in the United States turned on, there's going to be no engine to drive it. And that was always my problem with giving everybody $1,000 or $2,000 is that the pandemic aspect of it, the government hasn't said, they think consumers are going to go out and spend. And I say, where? You know, um, I get it'll help with their rent, but um, they're not going to rush into the store and start buying things. There's just, there's just no way there's no way you could do that. So um, I, I think it's going to take a lot longer to start things back up. I think we're going to see, <clears throat> excuse me, the economic impact um, last a lot longer than most people are thinking. I think this is going to go well into 2021. And just as I was saying earlier with Costco, I don't know how they're going to hire back all 22,000 of these demo people. Even if, if let's say they are, um, that's going to take time. And the company that's hiring all these people, maybe the people will be around, maybe they won't be, maybe it'll take longer. So um, there are a lot of pieces to this that the average person um, isn't, isn't used to. And I think one of the things that we have, we, we, you know, from a knowledge standpoint, we now understand how dangerous it is to have a supply chain from all over the world. Because, you know, um, you, you can't go and grab from all these people uh, the way you could from, you, from your supply chain. So maybe more companies will come back and reestablish U.S. supply chains so that things are much closer together. But I, I don't know. Now, the next big worry is, um, does, are we going back to work too early? And I really think if we... If we rush back and we then have to go to a um, another shutdown and shelter and home again, then without a doubt you're you're going to head into a depression, and um, uh, it'll affect 
industries very differently, but um, people aren't going to be able to survive a second one, which is why I'm in favor really of waiting until June or July, suffering a little bit more and uh, at least getting into the warm season and hoping by then that we can reduce enough. Um, Because, you know, think about it. Would you get on an airplane May 1st um, and you're packed in on an airplane and you don't know whether the person next to you has the virus or not. And then what if they do and you get it? And the, and the, the, the government right now, which I think they're starting to run into a wall with the um, businesses, is the businesses don't really want to open unless they know that um, there's going to be testing so that um, things, things can be proven and factual. And then some businesses are going to, again, back to this guy, uh, the CEO of Cummings, he says, we're going to have to redesign our whole internal manufacturing process so that people aren't next to each other. So I don't know how long any of that's going to take and and any of that stuff. So um, it would be good to get some of the businesses back going where we can. But um, I think this rush could work out to be uh, a huge mistake if we're not careful. I mean, I, there's a ton to unpack there, but I, I tend to agree with with a lot of it. Um, you know, I've been probably a lot more aggressive towards um, the reopening process, and that might be because of um, you know healthy younger individual. I kind of want to get out. I'm like you know, patience is not my thing a lot of times. So I think like on a personality level, I've um, definitely been you know kind of pushing in that way and, and to shift this into some of the emerging brands that you work with and a lot of them being um, owned by you know younger individuals uh, millennials like myself um, have you seen any of them kind of being hungry um, I guess and even to get a little bit more value towards this what kind of advice have you been giving to some of these entrepreneurs of these emerging uh, food brands right now to like kind of use this time in a constructive positive way over you know, thinking about the negatives? Well, first of all, I tell them, um, you know, I share with a lot of them my experience in 2009 with the mortgage crisis and how it impacted companies. And that from a positive aspect, at least right now, um, you can still borrow money, which people, if, if especially younger people, if they were not at a company or own their own company during 2009 mortgage crisis, you, you couldn't borrow 25 cents. There was just no place to go to get money. And um, even the credit card companies were having, cutting in half their credit lines that, employ, that uh, their card members ha- uh, had. So um, I just tell them the most important thing is that a lot of your clients are gonna pull, pull to the side, I mean, your competitors pull to the side of the road and then when things start up, they won't be ready. So get everything you need done now. Um, if it's pay, if you're trying to go to Costco, get your pricing down. Work on it now while you have the time, and then you're going to be ready to go all balls out when um, the doors start opening everywhere. If you wait until the last minute, then you're going to be playing catch up, um, and you know you will have wasted the time that was here. And if you're if you're an, a younger entrepreneur with a new food brand and you've been successful prior to the pandemic and and the recession that we're now in, you should still be successful going forward. So don't change too much of your company because what's been working in the past 
I don't believe, as I said earlier, that we're going to come out of this environment and be in a radically different world where consumers buying habits and everything else have changed so much that all of a sudden the new latest greatest brand that's out there that's been doing you know going sales going through the roof are going to be now invaluable and you know i think you know uh, some of the analysts on wall street are all excited about Kraft Heinz of course people are going to go back to the brands they're going to go to Campbell's soup you can buy a can of Campbell's soup and it'll last you till 10,000 years. Um, that doesn't mean you should be eating it. Like, you know, Oreos and high carb crap that people are eating right now, a lot of that is just to get the emotional high from, you know, if being in a stressful period. But, you know, you, you won't have to worry about the pandemic if you're loading up on Oreo cookies and, and high fat potato chips and all this other stuff you'll you'll be in the hospital and so um it's it's really important it's really important that um people remember that what was working before this are most likely going to be working again and it's not something you should radically change unless your business had slowed going into the pandemic then you should you know and I, I tell our clients, be focused on your innovation. Do not stop innovating. This is valuable time that you have now more than ever to innovate. And don't, if you can, you don't want to lose your key employees because if you lay them off, they're not going to be easy to get back and someone will pick them up because they know how valuable they are. Yeah, I think there's an element of prioritization um, and then like rationalization of all the decisions uh, beating that from your labor to any cost to um, just the projects that you're working on I think that this is the time for everybody to take a few steps back and really address a lot of the things that they probably needed to to do before um, this kind of all started but I agree in terms of um, really doubling down on, on things that are working because they're they're going to work um, after this, if especially if if the last month of March has, has been very positive. I think that that's giving you a lot of confidence to um, continue to invest in that. And when this all kind of goes back to some semblance of normalcy, I think that the you know those those sequences and patterns that they've been able to to figure out are going to work again. They might need a, a few degrees of uh, of shift, but I think overall, I think they're going to work out pretty well. Um, I appreciate the conversation, Jeremy. I think it was extremely insightful. I think we touched on a lot of really good um, points of conversation that I think are going to make some people um, think. But if people want to um, work with you, get to know a little bit of the work that you guys do, how do they um, get in contact with you or follow you? Um, they can follow me on LinkedIn, um, really easy to find, or they can email me at jeremy at launchpadgroupusa.com. Uh, or just call me 650-576-8803. I take all calls. So, um, uh, you know, we've been, after what happened at uh, Expo West, where they canceled at the last minute, we spent a lot of time on LinkedIn. Um, I made an offer to consult with brands that uh, uh, were new because I, I knew they lost all their money on their their booths. And so we're always there to help. Uh, you know, the industry has been good to me. So I spent a lot of time giving back and, 
you know, I just want to, you know, tell everybody out there if, you know, we'll get through this if we stick together and you stay focused on your values and uh, take care of your employees. And, uh, uh, you know, I there's a word I use a lot in my business because it's the key to success and that's building momentum. And so um, even though now it's a little bit harder, you've got to find ways to continue to build that momentum. And then, um, you know, you'll be ready to rock and roll as soon as everything is back open. I couldn't have said it better myself, Jeremy. Thank you again for your time. I appreciate it. Great. Take care. It's been a pleasure. Thank you.